personal views and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are their own and are not legal advice or official statements by their organizations. Hello, my name is Debbie Reynolds. They call me the Data Diva. This is the Data Diva Talks Privacy Podcast, where we discuss data privacy issues with industry leaders around the world with information that businesses need to know now. I have a special guest on the show, Craig Hamill. He is the Director of Innovation and Technology at UL Research Institutes. Welcome. Hey, glad to be here. It's, uh, it's been a while since we last talked and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, right, right. So the last time you and I chatted, you were the Director of Information Technology at the Pritzker School of Molecular Engineering at the University of Chicago. I was, yeah, that's definitely a mouthful. Um, yeah, I was working um, with, you know, kind of the novel technology stack uh, engineering school uh, at, at the University of Chicago, working on a lot of material sciences, quantum engineering, pushing the forefront um, recently, I transitioned over to uh, UL Research Institutes to build lab of the future and, and drive innovation and kind of take all that research knowledge that I had in the past and continue moving forward and, and kind of building that new safety science and, you know, creating the better world. And, and you know, the mission of UL is to uh, really drive standards and engagement and Build tomorrow better, you know, and that's a really novel uh, passion um, that gets me up in the morning. It gets me to work and wants to learn new things. So it's it's been a fun um, short journey being there, but uh, I'm really looking forward to kind of all the things that we have moving forward. Yeah, that's amazing. You and I had the pleasure of being on a panel together, and I thought, wow, this guy's smart. Like we got to get him on the show. Not only that. That's always a good way to, to butter me up and bring me on. Also, you have such interesting views for a lot of people when they think about innovation, they think about pie in the sky or something that really doesn't have any tangible application. So I feel like you're doing the work where you have that foundation around practical realities of user technology, but then also having a lens towards the future. Give me a, a thought about you know your career trajectory and how you moved into this emerging or innovation technology space. Well, I, a thing that I've always brought to the organizations and, and the groups that I've worked for and worked with is um, I come from engineering background. Um, I've done a lot. I've, I started at the help desk level, you know, building my own computers, and you know, when I was really young. Uh, learning how all these things work, you know, pre-internet or I guess internet light days. So you had to learn by doing and troubleshooting and, and developing all these practical applications. You didn't have a genius bar you could just take a broken piece to. You had to reach out to people and and learn and break things and you know realize your mistakes and grow from that. So uh, you know I, I've taken that kind of mentality of you know failing fast, learning by doing, um, not getting too crazy into anything, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of helped me learn the business, learn the business side of things, learn the technology and the engineering side, and then providing value. I mean, that's really what I, I've tried to do in, in my career and, and my growth through the various levels of everything is 
do what works now, build the foundation and start really kind of piling on the frosting and the icing and, and make it shine after that. Um, so it's what, what I'm trying to accomplish in my new role is to have a pie in the sky vision of things. Um, how do we integrate all these emerging technologies? Uh, but also we need to bring value. We need to, to show in our research space and in a technology that, you know, popular AI, chat GPT, all of these, you know, ML models, how do we bring all this in? And it's cool. And we hear about it in the news and everybody seems to be talking about it, but what's the value? I can't just bring in and request funding and people and, and spend so much time bringing something in that like is cool, but really end of the day doesn't do anything or provide any value for what we're doing. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of little things that, um, you know, especially in that the AI and that generative AI model um, that I think are very useful for what we're working on now um, has tremendous applications, uh, but also it's young. It's, it's kind of what it's the wild child of, of the technology forefront. Like it's, it's a wild card in terms of how it's building these things out. And it's sort of, to me, and especially just talking to my colleagues and how how are we going to use this in the future? It has value. It can accelerate and create a lot of velocity for what we're working on, especially in standards creation and in documentation. But we also don't, we should have a healthy distrust for it. We don't know what's being fed into it. We don't know what we're, we feed into it and how it builds out. So I'm, I'm, you know, running in that direction, but I'm also very, very cautious on how we like implement any of our stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a fun journey in, in my career of just, you know, I was I worked in uh, in a bakery in a large bakery in Chicago making cookies and learning machinery and timing and all of that stuff to tech and and a lot of just different applications. So it's it's been pretty great. Excellent. You used a phrase before we start recording that I love to get you to talk more about. Uh, I know that you work in AI, machine learning, VR, XR, the R's, reality space. But the, the phrase that you used was digital safety. Tell me a little bit about that, because I feel like all the things that we're working on now in technology, it has to have that element that cuts across like whatever it is that we're doing. So give me a flavor of what you mean when you say digital safety. The, the it, it's a it's a frontier where it's an extension of of social media, whereas now we have an avatar or something, especially in the, I guess, there's different kinds of, you know, the R's, the realities, right? Like you have industrial VR, AR, which is a company built training programs that is corporate centric within a company. And then you have sort of the public reality, your um, meta, metaverse, your Facebook, a lot of the reality labs, Mark Zuckerberg type um area uh second life being another you know one that's been around for jeez oh, over a decade now but uh you know the reality labs and mark zuckerberg's team are pouring 
billions of dollars into building that digital universe. The kind of the the Ready Player One uh, book of things and how to move everybody, you know, from this physical world with a headset and everything into a digital world where we have our own avatar and we could kind of create our own future. But with that comes a tremendous amount of problems. Um, there's no more, you, you don't know who's who. I mean, even in social media, you know, the catfishing and all those things happen. Um, you know, it, it is a problem. You don't know who you're really talking to, but when you move into an AR or into a VR world, you could create your own persona. You could have your voice be different, all the things that you want. And that creates all sorts of I mean, obvious issues. If younger children are going into a VR world, is there predators? Is there scammers out there trying to, you know, push the, the boundaries of that technology? Um, I mean, I think there's like the safety component of that. And there's, I mean, the digital safety is so wide ranging is, you know, we have uh, demonstrated technologies of how the next phishing and, you know, criminal elements could use AI and ML and voice recognition and VR in in a situation that could really start causing issues. Um, and I think it's not very far away where a, uh, I mean, is a, for instance, you know, the, the old, you know, you get an email from the CEO to, to buy a bunch of gift cards and you're like, yeah, I know that's, that that's a scam. People fall for it all the time. Um, but what if I could create a, a VR or an augmented reality component of your CEO with the tone of his voice, how he talks to you, create a Zoom call, have him call you and say, hey, so-and-so, I need you to, to transfer $10,000 into this account for me. And you look legit. You know, the verification of all of these things become really muddied. Uh, and you don't know that it's not them because it, you know, looks like them, talks like them comes from, you know, it all passes all of those, the kind of that sniff test. So that digital safety, how do we watermark that? How do we know of deep fakes that are out there? How do we know that news is being generated by people um, that isn't being curated and content just specific to you? Um, I mean, that is future proof, you know, a future thing of, you know, the AR VR world, but even to just some, you know, state right now that in social media that we don't, that there's a larger contingent of people who don't realize that the stuff that is being generated, the content that's being generated in your Facebook and your Twitter feeds is pointed to you. It's not the old school newspaper of news that shows up that is the same for everybody. It is curated and amplified to who you are and drives more of that, whatever you want it to be. And it's a, and builds a community that may be good and maybe toxic or misinformation or amplifies these other things that may, may not be true. So that digital safety component is, is a really tough nut to crack because who's that, who's responsible for doing that? 
Um, is it the corporations? Is it the platforms? Is it people? You know, do we have cyber cops that are looking over all of these things? Do we have our legislators create laws that do this? I, I don't know. I mean, the legislation body of the United States is not tech savvy. Um, you could watch any news. I mean, you can listen to like the TikTok and watch how that's going. And it's painful to see people creating laws or attempting to create laws who have zero fundamental ideas how either the internet works or their cell phone works or the information they're being provided to is by some 23-year-old intern in their office telling them something. It's so I don't know who does, who creates you know digital safety. How do we put these standards in there? But moreover, how do we create all this stuff that isn't political and bipartisan and has all this stuff wrapped around it? Um, I'm not entirely sure, but I think we're going to take a crack at it and see what we could do. Absolutely. It's a tough problem. I feel like we have to fight it on different fronts and maybe people like you or me, uh, I find that people seem to have had success in it can target maybe one area and just pierce the veil in that way to be able to do that. I want to talk a little bit about privacy. So privacy is, in my view, a horizontal issue that cuts across almost any type of digital life uh, that people have and the types of things they do. How does that play into your work maybe in ways that it may not have in the past? Well, the privacy component of, you know, it's it's not just personal privacy. I mean, it's corporate privacy, it's research privacy. There's a lot of, you know, and I think when we think of privacy, it's like just my stuff. You know, what can I Google about myself or what is out there? Um, when, you know, with within my new role, and even when I was at the University of Chicago, is again, all of these emerging technologies are coming up there. We're leveraging the cloud and whatever the cloud means. And we're taking all of this data that we're generating and our intention is to make it work for us. You know, we create all this information. We use a service that's out there that gives us feedback and helps us derive the next step. Um, the problem is, is that when we feed it into that black box, we don't know what's inside that black box. We don't know what's how it's generating some of that information. Um, you know, I was reading through some, some some details on some of the merging social media platforms, and um, it, it's very interesting that they own your content. You know, if you send out a tweet or actually reading about Blue Sky um, this afternoon, the stuff that you put up there is no longer yours. It goes into, you know, it gets shifted into this algorithm, into this black box, and then spit something out for you. And, uh, you know, in terms of, is that your information? Is it, can I trust what's coming out the other end? Like I put stuff online, you know, I, or input things in and it comes out. Now, is the open AI models or Bard or whatever else is out there, these AI generated and ML tools, 
and they're training off of all this material. Well, th- I didn't give them permission to do that. Um, but is it, how is it taking, is it randomizing this information, you know, or even to some extent, um, you know, as a pivot, I think we could all agree that like using some of this AI tools for medical diagnostics is amazing. You know, you could feed CAT scans into an AI model and it could tell you things that doctors wouldn't have even known about. Well, to, to build that, it had to look at millions of images before that. Well, who gave them permission to look at those images? Uh, I didn't. I'm pretty sure nobody else did. There's likely no language in any of our medical records that said they can. Did they add them? You know, did they take it and and shift all that, remove all that information out of there? Is there any information that is stuck somewhere? Um, it's helped for a diagnostics thing, but also, you know, in a privacy, you know, component. Um, starting a new job and and kind of going through even just setting up my uh, my medical stuff, you know, there's a component for rewards for doing activities. Um, how many steps do I do? Am I riding my bike or going for a run and that's being fed into the system? Is that being used against me? Is that going to raise my premiums? Are some of these details that I'm working on um, or in conjunction with going to the doctor? predicting things that maybe my healthcare provider is going to start charging me more money or changing how the, uh, the, the healthcare model for where I'm at, those things are, you know, they, they don't keep me up at night, but they're definitely on my mind. You know, some of it's a, maybe a little bit of a tin hat thing, but I I'm concerned that we don't know where any of this information is going, who's managing it. We do know when there's a breach and it gets out on you know the web and it's reported, but we only know about the stuff that's reported. And that, again, is another huge deal. Yeah, and something you touched on, you know, my concern with me often is either the absence of data or the absence of, just like in your medical example, who's x-rays were taken? You know, is it only of one group? Not every person has the same health, physiology, makeup. Is someone going to take that information from a limited data source and then make a judgment, uh, you know, globally around other people? You know, that could be very harmful. And that's also a concern that I have. Also, I think what we're entering into, and I want your thoughts on this, is that we're reaching an age of like unprecedented computing ability, whether that be personal computing, quantum computing, and things are going to change and escalate very rapidly. I think the thing with ChatGPT and things that are going on, that's an example of how rapid computing and AI and machine learning are going forward. And I'm not sure that we're all ready. I guess my concern is, we still have people using one, two, three, four, five passwords, and then we're gonna like slam them with mixed reality and deep fakes and quantum computing. What are your thoughts? I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, there's you know, nobody really cared about AI and, and the generative AI technology until last November when 
you know, chat GPT came out, open AI and chat GPT came out. And then now it's all we could talk about for the last four or five months. Um, and it just everybody trying to come up, they've all been working on generative AI and building these models for a very long time. Uh, so it's not anything new. There's, you know, AI and generative AI wasn't invented six months ago. It's been there, um, but now it's become easy. And that's the whole thing. Like a lot of this has become very easy. AI and ML tools, machine learning tools have always been around and to, to do all this data, but now anybody could use it. Anybody could leverage it. And now people are coming up with really novel ways to to exploit, maybe is it the right word, but they could use it to do everything. Um, the the joke of, you know, you could write, it could pass the bar exam. You, you know, chat GPT could pass the bar exam. Now I think the chat GPT four could do that. Um, it, uh, you know, how is that going to impact education uh, and all these things? It is driving forward pretty rapidly the response i find very interesting you know especially with the open letter from you know some technology leaders of like we need to put a 6 month pause on development of this stuff uh i find that actually quite comical um because it also makes me just feel like well do you want a six month pause because we need to come up with standards and safety and how we wrap our heads around this? Or, you know, you're in last place and you need that six months to catch up. Because uh, generative AI models are feeding information and developing their pausing it for six months doesn't stop anything. It just means the, the GPT 5 model will come out maybe a little later, but it's still going to be there and it's going to be even just stronger later on. Um, the, how all of this works in conjunction and why does it matter? There's a lot of applications that people are not aware of. They're going to catch them by surprise really, really quickly. We live in a divisive time. You know, I don't think we could really... We don't have to debate that. But if we live in a divisive time where we don't know where the truth is coming from and we could create models, um, you know, AI isn't going to take over the world. It isn't going to be some sort of Terminator-esque, you know, thing. Mainly the models are one source only. The generative, it's, you know, it, we're not going to have you know, the minority report or any sci-fi movie, you know, AI bots running around. They're typically just one task only things, but there's a lot of things that are going to hit people pretty quickly. And a lot of uneducated to that technology are going to fall victim to it. Alluded to, you know, scammers using this technology to, you know, with two sentences worth of uh, voice recognition or voice capture, they could regenerate your entire tone, how you speak, your dialect, your tonality, um, creating an, you know, an image of you. We've seen you know, the Mona Lisa coming to life and talking, 
you know, they could guess what, you know, what her voice may have been based on some samples, but we could, if you see that and you start seeing deep fakes, um, you don't know what's real and what's not real. And the truth becomes this sort of weird component of, you know, what's, what's being generated, you know, I think there's a lot of news organizations and journalists in, in generally are having conversations of, I could write a news article with some input. I still have to input data into this generative AI models to get a news article out. And it saves me time from having to you know do grammar and punctuation and um, other stuff. But how much, how much transparency are we willing to provide as we're creating this to let people know like, Hey, this article, you know, if I'm doing a review on a laptop, I did the spec and, and the, the work, but this AI model wrote the article for me. Are we going to be transparent in that way? I don't really know that we ever will be because it's not, there's no money to be made in being transparent. Um, and there's and then that goes back into the safety component of if you're not transparent, then you don't know what is correct information or unbiased information, or even if it's generated by an AI, that knowledge that the the AI and the the machine learning tools used, do we even know if that's accurate? I mean, if you built your model off of you know encyclopedias that were way out of date that had no information. Um, you know, you could have huge gaps that don't make sense, but it's, you're feeling that it's the truth and that's not, you know, that's not going to be right. I heard someone call it like a post reality world where we have to check and see whether something is true or not. And sometimes people know that sometimes it's just easier to take things at face value, but part of manipulation, I guess, that happens. Or just like you said at the very beginning, I think people think that when they get information, it's, it's like the newspaper in the past where everyone's seeing the same thing as opposed to things, algorithms, curating things just for you want to get your attention and they want to get your participation. Uh, so whatever it takes, you know, if you're in the thing that gets your eyeballs is controversy, then that's what they're going to serve you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it, it, it's an interesting problem. I think a lot of people realize it, but a vast majority of, you know, of the social media user base doesn't get that. It doesn't get that you're being served information that only amplifies you and your immediate community. And there's there, there's a lot of technology that is invested in your smartphone and, and all you know the, the listening devices around you that are amplifying not only what your your thing is, but what your friends' things are and the people you're close to and amplifying them to you. Um, and people don't realize that. And then when you try to tell them, you know, that's a thing, they're like, no, who would want to do that? Like, I don't have anything that's really noteworthy. Well, you, you do. You're the product. You're being sold on a lot of stuff uh, that you don't realize. Um, and it's done in a way 
that is so subtle that it's imperceptible to anybody else, to me, to to everybody, um, until they gotcha. Um, I mean, I, I have a, a great story that I tell people of uh, of this exact thing. Um, I uh, have been a Formula One fan for a very long time, and with the you know the Drive to Survive series on, on Netflix, it garnered a lot of you know more people. But I had a you know, during the pandemic, our kind of, you know, friend, uh, couple that we would hang out with in our, in our bubble, um, I would always joke about, you know, watching F1. They did not care one single bit about auto racing or even Formula One. They was not even in their radar. But every so often, um, I would just mention it. And it, it was infrequent. I mean, maybe twice a month. But it became such a thing and I wasn't like trying to get them into it. It was just a talking point or like, Hey, I watched the, the Grand Prix at Monaco and uh, it was kind of an off the cuff thing. I knew they didn't care. It wasn't worth me trying to get them into it. Well, over time, they knew that I watched it. I mean, my smartphone knows I watches it Google or Google and Netflix aggregate all that information. They started getting um, ads on their phone when I'm not talking about it, when I'm not around of, you know, the latest Grand Prix is starting in two hours. Again, they're not searching for this stuff. They're not looking for it. It's not even in their radar. It's not in their search history, but they started getting pop-ups and notices and uh, other things. And, oh, did you guys know about Netflix's Drive to Survive? So, it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen over a course of six months, but over a year, they were bored one day. It popped up in their feed and they're like, yeah, let's give it a try. Craig talks about it infrequently, but frequently enough. Now they're, you know, huge super fans of Formula One and watch it every weekend. And it drove that conversation by just a slight little spark years ago. It was a long game. And now they're into that that whole thing, um, which I th- it's, that's what happens. And people don't realize how subtle that that information is, and how they get you the advertisers and these sources get your feedback. Again, they weren't searching for it; they weren't talking to their phone, but their friend who they had a good relationship with, and as you know, someone that is influential in their life, drove their buying habit, and they didn't even know it. Yeah, I remember you told that story. That is really, really interesting. That's definitely true because I know that that happens for sure. That actually is a good outcome, right? So that the advertiser who was listening, they're like, great, Craig, you know, got some more people, you know, interested in Formula One. So we sold them more stuff. That example could go a different way too, right? The one example I like to share is one of the whistleblowers from Cambridge Analytica, he said they had gathered so much data from people, what they were seeing, you know, and you and I know correlation is not causation, right? But they were seeing that whenever they served up an ad, there was an anti-Semitic message that a lot of those people also like Kit Kat bars. So they called it like the Kit Kat project. So does that mean if you like a Kit Kat bar that you're anti-Semite? You know what I'm saying? Like this could go like way off the cliff. Oh, I, I mean, there's, 
data mining, um, I mean, we talk about smartphones, but, you know, the, and your Alexa and your Googles and everything listening to you. But I mean, that's, that's a very recent example. I mean, there's also examples of, uh, I mean, why, why does your local grocery store have a rewards card? Uh, you know, they give you rewards, sure, but they're tracking your purchasing. They're they're tracking what your what your demographic is because you put in your name, your age, where you live, that information, and then they know that like, you know, as a you know, a forty year old white male, I'm buying this product, this product, and this product, and therefore, when they're going to send me some coupons or whatever, um, you know, this is back in you know pre-smartphone, that's what they would target. And there was always an example of uh, a Target doing exactly this. If you bought these five products, there was a high likelihood that you were pregnant and they would send you, uh, you know, maternity you know, coupons and stuff where people were receiving this. I think this was a, a case study um, quite a while ago that uh, a younger person uh, who was pregnant but hadn't told anybody received something at home and their parents are like, hey, why are you getting coupons for prenatal vitamins and everything? And it was these things were purchased correlated to you're likely pregnant, therefore send this stuff. And it became a huge deal of, yeah, this information is being mined and they're putting all of these details together to drive more purchasing, which is sinister you know but right and that is and so that pulls me to my next point which is around privacy right uh so i think people i'm sure the person who was buying vitamins and doing different things assumed that they had privacy and they probably didn't realize that that data was being mined and targeted to them and probably exposing them in a way that they hadn't anticipated since you're in innovation, you're probably the best person to ask this question. I think when people like me or people who are privacy advocates, when we talk about privacy, a lot of times we talk about privacy in terms of agency. So we want people to have control over their data and stuff like that, which is there's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like agency, especially in the new technological age, we see all these innovations coming about. I don't think agency is enough because how can me, how can I as a just a regular human, what can I do with all this data that's being collected about me? Like, let's say if I had a bank of data and I have like all this information about me, like what can I as a human without Facebook or Google or all these really cool technologies, what could I actually do with this data? That's my question. I mean, that's a good question. Like, yeah, if you were the only person that collected it and you owned everything, what can you do with it? I, I don't know. I'm of a certain age where smartphones and these things didn't exist. I was still buying stuff. I was still doing things. Um, but we've, it, it's even to some extent, I don't think that all of these places that are collecting data on you are 
necessarily evil or bad, or it's it's a thing that we shouldn't be doing. It provides value. And I again, going back to my original, you know, what I'm trying to do, a lot of these things provide value to you. Um, your, you know, I do it. We all do it. We're happy to give up a little bit of something to get something else in return. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. I think where the issue is, is the lack of transparency in all of this. Um, I know that I go on Facebook, which I no longer have anymore, but when I was on a Facebook account, I knew Facebook was doing all of this, but it was also allowing me to build a community, uh, talk to people I haven't talked to, share in their, you know, delights that I, I my, my third tier and fourth tier, you know, friends and family, I'm not picking up the phone to call them, but I also could enjoy, you know, them going out for a picnic with their kids. And that's great. But I also know that they're taking my information and all that viewing habit and crafting something they're, they've got to make money. I mean, companies need to make money. You know, they have to be profitable. It is, there's no, we have to understand that there's money to be made in all of this. Um, but the problem is, being transparent about it. Uh, how much transparency? You know, that that's a, that's another discussion that I don't know we have enough time to go into, but I want to know what you're doing with my information, how you're using that information. If that information leaves, if I give Facebook my, you know, my clicks, my eyes, I know they're going to use it for it, but who is that going to? Is that being sold to another third party, which is selling it to another third party, which is doing all this other stuff? I, I should have a paper trail on that. Now, I know they're going to, at some point, uh, you know, sell me whatever it is I'm looking at. Sure, that's just kind of the name of the game where you get stuff, you know, for free. But I, I want to be transparent about it. Please tell me what's going on. If the data is leaked or stolen, I want to know about it. Um, I, then I could choose to continue using your product and your service if the value which I perceive that you're giving me outweighs the risk of using it. Um, so having all of this, you know, this tons of information as my own in my own little world in my bubble, like, unless you're a data scientist or whatever it is, an on-prem hackable service, uh, unhackable service, then it's not no use for you. But also if you're collecting all of this information, um, now you have all of this in one thing, now you're a target for somebody. You know, it's like having all of your, your money under your bed instead of putting it in a bank or distributing it across some assets. Now, if someone takes it from you, they've got everything. And so instead of a little bit here and there and, and, and somebody's putting a picture together, which of course there's, you know, a couple of data lakes out there that luckily have everything about us anyway, but it's, you know, there's not one attack platform or one attack vector to do all that. Um, I mean, I, I also, you know, believe that you have, we should have the right to get rid of all of this stuff. Um, if you don't feel comfortable with it being out there, I should be able to delete it and delete it permanently. 
you know, what have you collected on me? And I would like to get rid of that. Um, I would like to, you know, if, if it's something, I want to know what it is. And if I'm not comfortable with it, or I think you're a bad actor, I should be able to get rid of all of that information and that you no longer have that, you know, uh, that control over the information that I've, you know, generated for you. Again, you know, that's something that it, you know, to some extent you could do that with Google, go in there and erase all of your stuff. Um, but do I trust that it isn't somewhere else or has been sold somewhere else and that's the, the only copy? You know, no, it, it has. I mean, they're, they've got to make money and that's the whole point of it. Yeah. When people are trying to develop products and tools, I heard someone recently say that we're moving into a situation where we have a trust economy, where people are trying to decide what companies or brands they trust most, and that's who they're going to give their data to. But I think the point about transparency is key, but then also part of transparency is for the person to be able to say, okay, this benefits me, so I'm going to give data in exchange for whatever X service or product. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a, we, we, we all, at least people that I know, choose products, services, and align themselves with companies and organizations that fit their their goals, their aspirations. Um, you know, we 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 try to be more environmentally friendly. Um, if we know, you know, do we want to? Be, we're looking for a new car. Do we want to buy an EV or a hybrid? Uh, and you know, in that sense, if we do buy an EV, are the materials being sourced? How are the, how is their battery recycling program? I think there's just a more holistic view and how a lot of people are buying and choosing to use things. Because I think we've all been burned of, you know, if you, you open up this credit card, we'll plant 10,000 trees or whatever that we're reducing our carbon footprint. But are you? And who's going to hold you accountable for that? It, no one is. I mean, am I going to go out and check that you planted five trees for me? No, you're not. I, I'm not going to. Nobody else is going to. Um, but the people who are actually doing these things that you believe in and trust, uh, I see those getting more business and, and kind of driving that uh, that that information that information sharing. What we're actually doing. Um, it's, it, it is a, you know, we all pay, you know, we, we vote and we have advocacy and, and all of this by our dollar. If we don't want to do something, we don't have to pay for it. If we don't like a product, well, we just don't have to pay for it. We don't vote for that person. We don't vote for that ideology. We don't, you know, do these things. Um, but sometimes there isn't an alternative to doing that. And, but we, we all want to trust what we're doing is the right thing. I agree. So if it were the world, according to you, Craig, and we did everything you said, 
What would be your wish for privacy anywhere in the world, whether it be human behavior, technology, regulation? What are your thoughts? Oh man, I mean, that's a that's a that's a huge ask. Um, you know, and there's no utopian part of this. No, um, you know, I, there's things that I would love to happen. But I understand that they're probably not profitable. You know, they're, you know, again, companies and business and, and and these organizations need to make money. They need to do this stuff, you know, to pay their employees to to do other things. And um in in, in my world of, of privacy and and anything else is being open, being transparent. Um not doing these sort of I don't know, building your models around your your customers to fulfill the requirements and the profitability of your shareholders at the detriment of your product and the people who use them. Um, I I say this because there was a very popular password encryption company that was. Like you know, I don't know if there still are, but they they were hacked bad, and it took them six months to uh, disclose that. Well, I was putting all of you know, there was a lot of people who were putting their passwords and stuff in there, and it was hacked, and they didn't tell you right away. And then when they did tell you, I believe the CEO sent out an email on a Friday at five thirty, um, letting people know about the plans and how they were working on that. Dude, that's that's not genuine. Like you did it after hours, obvious reasons, and you did it on a Friday again, so it wouldn't get, you know gather all that media scrutiny. Um, but at the end of the day, like if you read the article, you drop it like a bad habit. Let's be more transparent. Let's like don't be overly transparent. You don't need to tell me everything about everything, but if there's a breach or there's an issue or something's going on, tell us. We know that the world isn't perfect, but we also need to know that if our information is being used in a, in a way that we don't find acceptable, that we have to, that we should be able to take the corrective procedures to protect ourselves. Um, you know, credit agencies losing all of our information is a huge deal. And if you tell us six months later, I don't know about this. And there, that has impacts on so many things in our lives. And now we're fighting to figure out why our credit score was dropped because a bunch of people opened up credit cards in our name or looked at our stuff. Why are they doing that? And if no one's telling you or having some information, um, I, I just think that there's just so much like, Acknowledge it, shove it under the rug, and move on, and get out of the news cycle as quick as possible. And that's unfortunate, and especially with a lot of the information that we have generated um, that's out there that is uh, unfortunately being hacked or compromised. Uh, we don't know about it till it's too late, and that has ramifications for a lot of people. So, my ideal world is to be transparent. 
I know you're going to use my data, especially on, on these free services. Um, but also give me a way to opt out of it. I mean, I can also not use your service, which is becoming more and more, you know, you know the drop, you know, social media campaigns. But there's also value to a lot of these things. Like, I don't, I have a Twitter account. I'm not a huge fan of where Twitter has gone in the last year. Um, but there's also value because it gives me notifications on technical outages and, and product updates. And that's just a quick way to do it. So how do I drop something without having an account? But uh, so I'm kind of diametrically opposed to what I'm supposed to do with that. Uh, but I also wish some of these things were run by, you know, not one guy with an agenda. Um, right. There was more of an editorial board or something. I mean, I, I kind of go back to the olden days of like, you know, newspapers, they had bias, but there was integrity. Right. Uh, I just don't feel like anything has integrity anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it's like um Ferris wheel that's going off the hinges and just kind of rolling around. <laughs> a, a little bit. I mean, and it's, you know, the people realize that, you know, Twitter definitely is moved away from kind of that news sharing quick and easy way in 140 characters to, to get a thing out to the world. And now it's, weaponized towards other things um it's it's become sad because now it's people and and things that i used to find a lot of value in are dropping off of it um which isn't necessarily a bad thing but my aggregation of information is now taking longer uh, i could certainly you know, go to npr and look up npr's new stuff and hit their website but it was also great to see the reporters and things that are very specific to me that I cared about be on Twitter and have that in my feed. It's an extra couple of steps. Is it a big deal? Well, kind of, because I'm not going to do it. Where I can go to one platform and see it. I'm not going to go to 10 platforms to see the same information. So right. that aggregation is important, but also I don't want to, I don't want to put my my dollars, my eyeballs into somebody that I think is driving divisiveness and an agenda that is like crazy. Yeah. I don't know about you. I feel like the future of social media isn't the public square. I just don't think so. <laughs> I think people, you know, maybe it's a pendulum that goes back and forth, but I think people, like you say, like you want curated specific information that you want to uh, get really quickly, not necessarily the fire holes of what everybody else is looking at, right? Yeah, I mean, that when, I mean, I was a very early adopter of, of Twitter in most social media platforms just because of the very nature of who I am. And it gets to a, crit you, you follow some stuff and then it gets to a critical mass where it's a full-time job to just keep up with these posts. Um, you know, you, you follow some celebrities and it just seems like there's just a stream of consciousness of like, I like this person. I think they have value or funny, but 
you're not posting every other day. You're posting every like 45 minutes. And I don't really care what you had for dinner. Um, I would love to know, you know, what show your, you know, your touring schedule or, or, you know, a music act. I don't need the constant stream. And then once you get to a critical mass, I mean, you can't, there's no way to continue to follow this. And um, I don't know how people actually do follow it, but to me, it's just, there's just so much noise. Even the things that I want to see, there's just so much noise in, in that conversation that I have to have multiple Twitter handles that I know are like, you know, very tech specific or, you know, I, these are products that I work with that they're, they tell me if there's outages or updates or, or maintenance schedules. And there's another Twitter that I have that's just, you know, music that I like. And these are the artists that I follow. So how do you aggregate all these things together? Because you put them in one stream. It's you can't keep up. Very true. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Well, thank you so much, Craig. This was great. This is fantastic. So keep doing what you're doing. I love what you're doing in innovation. You're the perfect guy for this job. So I'll be watching you and what you're doing. And I'm excited to support you in any way I can. Oh, absolutely. This is great. I look forward to future conversations and coming back in the very near future to tell you what I'm working on and, and how we're like, I don't know, changing you know the world for the better and doing all of our safety science and you know doing just doing cool stuff i mean in in a way that is equitable and uh safe and i don't know just smart yeah things that people want people need and being able to do it in a transparent and cool way very nice absolutely excellent well we'll talk soon for sure thank you again All right. Thank you very much. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye.